Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, big things are happening for area seniors as 50 North fully reopens. And now with their big facility expansion and renovation nearly complete, Executive Director Carolyn Copas shares the latest news. Also coming up this morning, it is highly unlikely that we will reach the goal of having 70% of eligible Americans vaccinated against COVID-19 by the 4th of July. For those who have resisted the shot to this point, what will it take? And we have another collection of tasty, easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen to finish up the week. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, June 25th, 2021. Today is the day of the seafarer. <laughs> the day of the seafarer. So, ahoy, mates! Uh, wish a uh, very happy day of the seafarer to all of the boat captains out there. It is National Catfish Day, National Food Truck Day, National Strawberry Parfait Day, and it is Take Your Dog to Work Day today. Wasn't it day before yesterday or earlier this week? I think we had take your cat to work day and today is take your dog to work day because turnabout is fair play. It is also uh, worth pointing out that today is National Police Community Cooperative Day. So reasons to celebrate on this Friday morning. So this is uh, one of the uh, big buzzworthy news stories of the day a federal appeals court ruled yesterday that an aerial surveillance program used by police in the city of baltimore is unconstitutional because they said it amounts to a warrantless search now here's the story the 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 backstory on this the baltimore police department began using an aerial surveillance system uh this is I guess, planes in the air or drones in the air with wide-angle, high-tech cameras um, as a means to fight crime. It tracked the movements of virtually all city residents during daylight hours. It just tracked everybody's movements in an effort to fight crime. Again, uh, privacy privacy advocates objected and the uh, court cited with them in a split eight to seven ruling a three judge panel uh, of the court had earlier upheld the program finding it was merely a tool used to track short-term movements in public where the expectation of privacy is lessened okay i understand the argument if you're in public you have lesser of an expectation of privacy than if you are indoors in your own home however that's a little creepy to know that Big Brother is out there in the sky watching everybody as they move around. And so the uh, court, in an 8-7 ruling, uh, failed at federal appeals court, not only uh, found the program unconstitutional, and uh, they also said, even though the uh, program ended in February, the court said that police may not use any data obtained through the program when it was operational. So they struck it down completely. And again, here is one of those ends justify the means question mark. Um, the 
goal to fight crime is certainly admirable, but is that going too far? So, again, definitely one of those buzzworthy stories uh, that uh, I saw on the uh, newswire yesterday. This, here's another story that I thought was really interesting, and it speaks to something that I've always wondered. Uh, To me, and if you're a regular listener on this program, you know that we talk about space travel uh, quite a bit. I am fascinated by the idea of space exploration. Space itself is really interesting, but it's the exploration, human exploration of space, I think is just uh, really fascinating to me. The science uh, involved in exploring outer space. Um, but this is something, what, what really amazes me is that somebody has to think of all of the little things. Now, all of those little things you have to take, for example, uh, have you ever wondered how astronauts do laundry in space? Well, the plain and simple answer is that as of today, right now, in the current space exploration programs, they don't do laundry. They actually wear the same clothes until they can't stand it anymore. And then they change their clothes and basically they junk them. They don't wash the clothes. Uh, But if we are going to colonize the moon, which there's been discussion about, if we're going to go to Mars, I mean, wearing the same clothes for days on end and then just changing every several days and junk in the old clothes that may work when you're traveling to the moon and only you you go to the moon. It takes like three days to get there, three days to get back and you're, you know, poking around on the moon for three or four days. So if you're going for a week or so in outer space, that works fine. But if you're going to Mars, it's going to take months to get there and months to get back. So, again, somebody has to think of the little things. Um, And, of course, NASA doesn't want to keep throwing away tons of dirty clothes every year, just stuffing them in the trash. What what happens is, I I guess they burn up in the atmosphere. They uh, put them, they jettison them uh, from the space station or whatever, and they burn up in the atmosphere. That's what happens to the old clothes. So NASA now, they say this is not going to work if we're going to go to Mars or, or what have you, or we're going to colonize the moon. So NASA has teamed up with Cincinnati-based Procter & Gamble to figure out how to do laundry in space so that clothes can be reused. Uh, the company announced Tuesday that it will send a pair of Tide detergent and stain removal experiments to the space station later this year and into next year as part of a galactic battle against soiled and sweaty clothes. (laughs) So I I just thought that was uh, really interesting. And somebody has to think about this as we were talking about, you know, everything that is involved in going to Mars. I can just see this in an office in NASA somewhere, somebody at the back of the room raising their hands and saying, "Um, we're going to have to know how to do laundry. (laughs) And then somebody else said, hmm, yeah, I guess that probably would be a thing. we got to figure out how to do that. Anyway, a couple of other uh, items among the first things you need to know 
this morning. Here is the uh, latest viral video that uh, experts say you really should not try. Apparently, a mom by the name this is most of the time you get these uh, viral videos and their kids who are doing dumb challenges. They're they're going to hurt themselves. We got to warn you about that. But this one actually comes from adult an adult Alexandra Bewick Bewick Bewick. Uh, she's from Australia, and she's a mom. She shared a video last week about how she makes mini eggs, what she calls mini eggs for her children. What she does is put eggs in the freezer, freezes them, then takes them out, removes the shells, and slices them up, and then cooks them and serves them to her child. The Food and Drug Administration, the uh, FDA, uh, posted on their website the other day, this is something you should not do. You should not freeze eggs in their shells. If you do want to freeze eggs, beat together the egg whites and the yolks and freeze that. Um, but don't freeze eggs in their shells. That can be very dangerous. And if you do try this, make sure to cook the eggs all the way through Uh, as undercooked eggs can raise the risk of salmonella poisoning. But better yet, just don't do it, they say. So, important stuff to uh, pass along. And how about this? This is definitely one of those uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start off the morning. A mall in Hong Kong has broken a Guinness World Record after commissioning the construction of the largest Rubik's Cube in the world. The largest Rubik's Cube, it measures 8.2 feet on each side. 8.2 feet! That's a huge Rubik's Cube. The uh, Nina Mall in Hong Kong shared a time-lapse video of the construction of the cube on YouTube, and it is a fully functioning Rubik's Cube. Uh, The previous record for the largest Rubik's Cube in the world was six foot seven inches on each side. So this smashes that 8.2 feet on each side. And I saw that and my first thought was, how big do those stickers have to be to pull (laughs) to pull off and and put on? Because isn't that how everybody solved the Rubik's Cube? Isn't that honestly how we all solved the Rubik's Cube back in the day? <laughs> Those stickers on each side, they've, they've got to be huge. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Mostly cloudy today with some showers, maybe a storm, a high of 80. Showers possible tonight with a low of 70. A woman is facing charges after crashing her car in Macomb. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office says the 26-year-old was driving south on Park Drive when she went off the roadway, striking a cable box and a pole. K-9 Charlie was deployed and made a positive alert on the vehicle, and drug paraphernalia was located during a search. The woman was issued citations for OVI, driving under suspension, failure to control, and drug paraphernalia. She was also charged with endangering children as there was a 7-year-old in the vehicle. Get more on our website. Hancock Public Health was out at the Hancock County Farmer's Market with their new mobile health clinic, offering people the COVID vaccine. 
We spoke with Health Commissioner Kareem Baruti inside the new mobile clinic. I think it's going to be a great tool. I'm going to make it convenient. It's going to go to a neighborhood near you. It's going to go to a festival near you, uh, to a park near you, where it will be really take 10 minutes of your time. Uh, make sure we, we check on your general health, wellness. He says they're still in the process of hiring a permanent staff for the mobile clinic, and once they have, you'll start to see it out and about even more. Get more on our website. Ohio's Vax a Million contest may be over, but there are still some incentives out there to get the shot. Kroger still has its own million-dollar drawings, plus 50 drawings for free groceries for a year. CVS has it one step closer sweepstakes with more than 20 grand prizes. And there's an app for that. DoorDash is partnering with Giant Eagle and Kroger to give people $25 to use. Governor Mike DeWine is hoping these incentives encourage more Ohioans to get vaccinated. That's ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting. 50 North is thanking some Findlay firefighters for helping ensure some local seniors receive their meals. 50 North says one of its mobile meals volunteers was delivering meals when they were involved in a crash. The volunteer wasn't injured, but his car was disabled from the crash. Upon learning that the coolers contained meals for seniors, two firefighters finished up the volunteer's route to make sure the seniors received their meals. 50 North took to Facebook to thank the two firefighters for helping out. You can learn more about 50 North's mobile meals program on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. And now to our cover story this morning. Big things are happening for area seniors at 50 North. Executive Director Carolyn Kopis is with us on the line this morning. Carolyn, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. First of all, before we get to all of the uh, big news, uh, certainly a shout out to the uh, Finley Fire Department. Uh, we had the uh, story in the news a little bit earlier. Uh, they really stepped up to help uh, recently with your mobile meals program. You know, I know those guys are special. I'm married to a retired firefighter <laughs> and they, they will, they are, um, well, they don't like to hear this, but they're heroes and they're angels. And when people need help, they're there to help them and they always step in. So definitely a shout out to the firefighters. We're glad that Tim is okay. Um, it, it was an unfortunate accident, but boy, did those firefighters just step right up. Not only did they help in the crash and, and the accident, but then they saw that there was a need and they delivered it. Yeah. For those who had not heard the story, uh, I guess the other day there was a uh, an accident involving uh, one of your mobile meals drivers uh, who was out delivering meals to uh, seniors. And when the uh, fire department uh, learned that that's what uh, was going on and and there were meals still to be delivered they stepped up and finished the meal delivery uh because the uh, the driver's car fortunately uh everybody okay the driver uh fine but uh the car was uh, disabled and so they uh, stepped up and and finished the meal delivery so uh, a big kudos and a big shout out uh to the uh, folks of the fire department for uh, their help on that now we get to uh the uh, big news uh, of the day first of all you are uh, on the cusp of fully reopening, have uh, have you reopened completely now for all of your uh, programs and services at Fifty North? Not only have is the building complete, but uh, as of June second, we have followed the recommendations of CDC, the Ohio Department of Aging, and also working with our local health department. We are fully open since June second. 
starting July 6th, our hours will be expanded to the hours that will be open throughout the year. So after 14 and a half months, we, we are fully open. Now, I know over the course of that year plus uh, of the pandemic, uh, you have had some limited services. You've tried to adapt as best as possible. But it, it, talk about how complicated that has been for an organization such as yours. Obviously, you provide some very essential services uh, for area seniors, but we also know that over the past 12, 14 months, this has been a highly vulnerable population. So it kind of puts you into a really uh, difficult spot. It did, but our, our staff is resilient. Um, one of the things that we kept saying is that we need to continue to be fluid and look at the challenges that we have as opportunities and see how we can deliver differently. We actually never did shut down. Mm -hmm. um, the building was shut down because we had to. Right. But we continued with um, meal delivery, grocery delivery. We started a new program called Curbside Cafe. Since people couldn't come inside, we brought it out to them. That was a brand new program. And we received a, a grant uh, from Health Path to help us do that. And then our chore department, after it was safe and we were able to put together protocols, we started doing chores outside. Then we were allowed to continue our housekeeping. But then all of the staff, we called over 6,100 seniors last year and really connected with them to find out what their needs were. So we started doing Zoom programs and teaching our seniors how to get on Zoom. And we had exercise classes and activities. So we really, we continued our services throughout. We just, it looked differently. Yeah. And yeah, it gave us an opportunity. Um, in August of 2019, the board had made the decision to move for forward with the full expansion and renovation project. Yeah. I remember and to mobilize what's that? No, I was going to say, I remember uh, we were talking on this program uh, back when all of this started. The silver lining to having to shut down the facility is it really made it easier to move forward with that uh, construction, renovation, and expansion project. You're right, um, Chris. If there is a silver lining in all of this, March 2020, we decided to mobilize and start doing the renovation and expansion, and we're going to be fully open during that time. Since we were closed and the timing of COVID hit, and actually it was 14 and a half months since we you know, were closed and doing operations differently that we were able to complete the whole project two months ahead of schedule. Wow. And definitely 5% under budget. And I understand that there might even be some more savings. So, you know, although I would have rather done the project with our seniors there, mm -hmm. um, since they couldn't be, we were able to save money and also time. And, you know, the, the board was brilliant because they took a risk saying we're going to go ahead and start this project with both sides, meaning we had an east expansion and a west expansion. And I can't imagine had we not done that 
what yeah. the material cost would be now and what our project cost would be. Yeah, that so is that is certainly we were, a good point. We were blessed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the uh, the expansion, the construction is uh, nearly complete. When will that be open, and what will uh, clients see when they get into the new expanded building? So we are 99.9%. We're just doing some punch lists. We're open now. Everything is open. So we've expanded our cafe, and which allowed us to open up another activity room. We have an art, art room. We've expanded our um, equipment room for fitness, a wellness group exercise class, as well as a track. And um, it just, it, it turned out it, it's not over the top. It's, it's not, um, it, it just hit the mark. Yeah. I encourage everybody to come out and visit and ask for a tour. We do have times that people can schedule a tour that makes it easier on our staff because we are busy, but we're happy to stop what we're doing and, and give people tours. And I think that Finley will see, as I said, uh, last night at our reception for our key stakeholders that um, Finley has a gem and they're giving back to those seniors who gave so much um, through their lives to us in the community. So and, um, and it, it, it's awesome to see. And in conjunction with the uh, con- uh, completion of the expansion, uh, the construction uh, of the new sections of the building and the reopening and so on, uh, you have some uh, big news uh, with respect to that. Am I right? We do. You know, this community is so gracious. And one of those um, truly committed, passionate um, stakeholders are the Hemiers. Uh, Jane and I have had formed a, a friendship on a board that we were on, and and I have known them um, in different capacities in the community. And when Jane uh, told me that when her parents moved to Finley, uh, the first thing she did was got them involved at 50 North, then the Agency on Aging, and they were able. Her parents were able to make friends and get acclimated into a community that they hadn't grown up in. And so when I heard that story and we kept in touch and, and they've always been gracious to 50 North. And then when this project came up, um, Bevy Amin is on our board and she committed, uh, to the track and supporting that. And she was in that meeting. And as Gary and, and Jane said last night, uh, Riyadh was a real mentor to them, meaning to, to Gary. And he couldn't say no. And he also made a big shout out to our board and to Barry Simmons, who was also in that meeting with them initially. And Gary knew that that we were in good hands with Barry as our facility director working with RCM and Alveda Construction. So it was just a win-win um, project. We also had um, the CFO of, of Marathon step up early on, too. Kathy and Gary Piper. So we are just generally thankful for for the um, for their belief in us and supporting this project because without them and without all of our major donors and all of our donors, we would not have been able 
to build this building, if we did, we were going to have a big loan yeah. and have interest to pay on it. And, you know, we still have probably about, oh, six, seven hundred thousand dollars that we're going to have to um, finance. Mm-hmm. So it's not too late if you want to contribute any amount will help um, us reduce that debt that we have to pay with on interest. But we are in a good sound um, place financially and we have good stewardship of our money and uh, we have a broad base of support. We have fees and services that support our programs as well. And so we're hopeful in the next two or three years that we'll be able to get that debt paid down. We do. It was mentioned, and this is not what this is all about, but we are in a five-year cycle on our levy, which helps support our operations. Mm-hmm. And our renewal is coming up in November. And I do say renewal. We are not asking for any new taxes. Right. We just want the same taxes that have been supporting us the last five years to continue this next five years. We will be able to live within our means, even with this larger building. So, and, and- you know... And you mentioned real quickly, because uh, I want to make sure that we uh, get this in before uh, we run out of time. You mentioned the uh, donor recognition event yesterday evening. uh, And with that, a a big announcement as a a thank you to uh, those uh, big, uh, those major donors. Yeah, so we renamed the facility uh, 50 North Hemier Center for Jane and Gary Hemier. And um, many of our areas, like the Bevue Mean Track, we have Ohio Logistics Lobby, we have Gary and, and Kathy Piper, the group exercise room, Marathon uh, named our fitness equipment area, the Dunnells named our stage. So we have had some real major donors. We had a lot of doctors who um, stepped up, Jeff McMath, um, Dr. St. Clair, both from the Orthopedic Institute of Ohio and the Myers, Dr. Myers, Kathy and Dr. David Myers. So that just shows the importance of what we do in the community yeah. um, with health Good. and wellness and also the socialization and, and the well-being of our seniors. So kudos all the way around. Again, uh, 50 North. Executive Director Carolyn Copas uh, with us this morning. The uh, latest news on the uh, reopening and uh, the completion of the uh, building uh, expansion uh, out there. Uh, again, uh, the building is open. Folks can stop by and, and check it all out. Carolyn, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. And I encourage everybody to come out and see us. With July 4th only a little over a week away, it is highly unlikely that the administration's goal of having 70% of eligible Americans vaccinated by the holiday will be met. So where does that leave us? And is it even that big of a deal? Dr. Ross McKinney is chief scientific officer at the Association of American Medical Colleges. And Dr. McKinney, even the White House concedes uh, at this point that reaching this benchmark is unlikely absent some sort of huge surge in people rushing out to get their shot over the next week. It's simply not going to happen, right? That's the way it looks. And it's too bad because it's, uh, you know, it, 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 here we are. It's the, the Delta variant is spreading. Um, it's able to find people more efficiently who are not vaccinated. And so 
people not getting vaccinated is basically meaning people taking a chance. It's unnecessary. So right now, uh, by the latest numbers that I am seeing, it's about 64% of adults who have received at least one shot and 53% that are fully vaccinated. Now, obviously, some of the drop-off between the two uh, are, are people who are kind of in limbo, have to be, have to wait between uh, between the two. But which is more concerning, the fact that we are only 5 or 6% away from hitting that benchmark or that we continue to see an even larger 10 or 11% drop off in the number of people who don't go back for the second dose after getting the first? Uh, I think the larger worry, so that's actually, it's a very good question. The larger worry is the um, not getting any vaccine at all, <clears throat> because those are people who are the most at risk. You get some protection mm-hmm. from that first dose of vaccine. So, so people who had no doses at all are at the highest risk. But what the data from uh, the UK has shown is that for the uh, Delta variant, um, having only one dose, the vaccine is better than nothing, but it's not great. While having two doses is um, fully protective. So it really is. If you've got one, don't waste the effort that you did get that one. Get the second dose. Right. Um, What we're really seeing is the younger people not getting vaccinated because people who are um, in their 60s, that's up at 80%. Right. So, so the problem is younger people not getting vaccinated. And, and this continues to be an uphill battle. I mean, I look at this and I think, you know, at this point, anyone can get the shot on demand pretty much. You no longer have to make an appointment or, you know, anything like that. It's, yep. it's available at no cost. Uh, we, we've given away millions of dollars in these vaccine lotteries in Ohio and other states. We're even offering uh-huh. people, even offering people free beer if we hit 70%. Uh, so, <laughs> I and, <know. laughs> and none, and none of these incentives uh, have gotten us over that hump. Do we have to concede that there is simply a certain segment of the population that will decline to get vaccinated no matter what? What will it take? Well, I think there is a small group out there who who may not. But what I think we're going to see is that those places that where, where there's a low rate of vaccination are going to have a very high rate of disease. We're already seeing that in Missouri. Mm-hmm. So southwestern Missouri um, had a very low rate of vaccination, and they're they're starting to see um cases look like back in january in much of the country um and and i suspect we will see similar patterns of um, this very aggressive variant catching the unvaccinated uh, in states where they're low rates it it is interesting uh because i think i I heard uh, a quote from one of the health officials in the state of missouri as you referenced saying hey if we can be a cautionary tale that moves the needle then i guess the will be the canary as it were uh, when you break it down state by state, you've got 13%, uh, 13 states that are already at seven, 70%, 15 on track to meet the July 4th target, and that leaves 22, including Ohio, that are not going to get there. Not only that, we have also seen a steady decline in Ohio in the number of daily vaccinations over the past month, down in some cases to only a couple thousand vaccines being given a day. Uh, certainly, we are not going to get there like that. Is it time to redouble those efforts? And, and get more of those vaccine clinics, or is it, what will be key to getting those uh, daily vaccinations back up? I think the nudge that we need is to get people to understand the terrible risk that they are taking. And if they start to perceive themselves at risk, 
And I think that's where it's been. Young people don't necessarily, younger people don't necessarily perceive themselves to be at risk. Mm -hmm. If they start to see um, other people around them getting sick, they're going to go, uh-oh. And the trouble is, you know, to get the two doses, it's a four, five, six-week process to become fully immune. Yeah. So uh, you see it happening around you. It's it's already almost too late. I think they need to understand that the risk of long-term problems after vaccination, particularly for people who get these variants, mm-hmm. is real. They could lose their sense of smell for six months to a year. They could end up with uh, brain fog that makes it hard to get work done and, and hard to concentrate. They could end up with uh, muscle aches and headaches that persist for six months to a year because that's what is being seen in a lot of younger people who are getting it. And the more they come to appreciate that, that this is something real for them, um, hopefully, hopefully, they'll, they'll take that small effort to get down to the, uh, the local CVS or Walgreens and get themselves vaccinated. It is a, a very important point that we're, this goes beyond just the quote-unquote survivability rate uh, in the data points here. I'm I'm curious your uh, thoughts on mandating uh, the vaccine. There are some private employers and even the city of San Francisco this week has said that their city workers would be required to get the vaccine as a condition of employment. Is it wise to try and strong arm our way to uh, herd immunity? Well, I, I actually think there are certain employment situations where mandates are justified. For example, healthcare systems, mm-hmm. um, systems where people are exposed to the public you don't want as an employer to be perpetuating the spread of the virus. My own bias would be, you know, people should be vaccinated if they're going to be in the building or they have to wear a mask for the entire day. So I think the mandates make sense for public health reasons. Um, I realize it's considered strong arming, but in fact, the evidence is so clear that there's a greater benefit than harm. Um, that, that personally, I think it would be justified in many situations. So we've picked apart the data. Uh, as we said, it appears we will not get to 70% by the uh, end of next week. Where does all that leave us? Kind of bottom line it for us here. Well, I think we are still sitting on a time bomb. And the time bomb, what's interesting is the American culture of personal responsibility leads to personal responsibility of people becoming sick. And we're going to see, um, uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident, significant outbreaks in the unvaccinated. And in a sense, you know, I kind of want to say it's their own damn fault. Um, but, but we also, as public health, do not want that to occur. We would like people to come to their senses, get vaccinated, and, and protect themselves and protect others. Because, you know, when you get vaccinated, you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting all the people who you have contact with. Right. Um, so there are so many good reasons to urge people to continue to get vaccinated. Uh, some uh, very frank words from uh, Dr. Ross McKinney, Chief Scientific Officer of the Association of American Medical Colleges. Dr. McKinney, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. If you are looking for something to do this weekend, the village of Mount Blanchard is hosting the Blanchard River Bluegrass Festival tomorrow with food and games and crafts, classic cars, plenty of great music. In case you missed it, earlier this week, we spoke with Cindy Ambergy of the Mount Blanchard Beautification Committee about tomorrow's event. 
Yeah, we decided to do something different. So we started the, the Bluegrass Festival, and it's going to take place this Saturday from 10 a.m. till 9 p.m. We've got four bands starting uh, Living Water Plays from 10 to 12, and then the Scott Brothers Band, the Blue Storm Revisited, and Ottawa County Bluegrass will all be rotating in 45-minute sets all day long, the rest of the day till 9 o'clock. So we're going to be a full day of uh, great bluegrass music, and it is much more than just the music. Yes, it is. We've also got a chicken barbecue, uh, which is our main one of our main fundraisers for the Beautification Committee. We've got a beer garden that will be open from noon to nine. We've got a car show that I've heard has over seventy cars coming. Wow. We've got we've got a bingo that is a fundraiser for the Riverdale Senior Class. We've got a craft show, a Gaga Pit tournament, which is put on by the FFA, mm-hmm. a petting zoo, which is by the 4-H. We've got big rigs for the kids to explore, inflatables <laughs> for them to play in, uh, old-fashioned pie tent, a Mount Blanchard history tent where we have a lady that's been in Mount Blanchard for years. They'll tell you all about the history of Mount Blanchard. Uh, we've got a couple of raffles going on. We've got hamburgers and hot dogs and chips and a 50-50 raffle. Wow. So, so there's plenty for the whole family yeah, to do. something. It sounds like something for everyone to enjoy. So the Bluegrass Festival uh, going on uh, this Saturday. It's all happening. It's, it's just a one-day deal. Um, again, give us uh, all of the, uh, the times uh, for the events and, and so on. Can I give us the uh, nuts and bolts of this? Sure. It's... Down at Island Park, okay. where the pool is, if anybody knows or if anybody's looking, it's down by where the pool is. You, you can, can just follow, down the, there yeah, follow the crowd. <laughs> yeah, it's in the middle of the town. It'll be between Clay Street and Park Street, if you're looking for it. The bands will be playing from from uh, 10 to 9 at night, 10 in the morning till 9 at night. Mm-hmm. The beer will be from noon till, well, we'll stop serving about 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chicken barbecue and the hamburgers and hot dogs will be from 11.30 to 6. Uh, the chicken barbecue, there are still tickets available. They're $9. The craft show and car show uh, Gaga tournament, I believe, is $5 if you want to enter. Okay. If you've never seen it, come down and watch. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. There's flyers all over town. There's also uh, more information on your Facebook page. There's a Facebook event that we have linked up uh, at goodmornings.net if you want uh, more details on those uh, individuals. And you mentioned tickets for the uh, chicken barbecue. How do we get those real quickly? You can give me a call at 419-306-9109. Cindy also told us that there will be a limited number of those uh, chicken barbecue tickets available uh, for just walk-up at the event. But much uh, better idea to get the uh, tickets in advance, and I believe there are still some available. You can either give her a ring directly, or I'm also told uh, that, uh, what is it, the uh, market in Mount Blanchard has tickets, and some of the other businesses in Mount Mount Blanchard uh, can help you score tickets to the chicken barbecue as well. But the uh, festival itself, admission is free, happening uh, tomorrow, our conversation from earlier this week with uh, Mount Blanchard Beautification Committee member Cindy Ambergie on the Blanchard River Bluegrass Festival, all happening tomorrow in Mount Blanchard. Uh, you can go to uh, goodmornings.net and uh, scroll down to, I believe, was that Tuesday? Tuesday or Wednesday, we uh, spoke with Cindy in the uh, link up 
uh, on our webpage is uh, is there. Just scroll down and uh, you'll find it at goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update and the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. 56-year-old Robert Morris is in trouble with the law after he stole a $1.2 million yacht and took it on a joyride from upstate New York to Vermont on Lake Champlain. (laughs) Didn't just steal any ordinary boat. He stole a $1.2 million yacht, 48-foot yacht from New York's Rouse's Point Marina on Monday morning was caught after crossing the lake to a state park off the coast of St. Albans, Vermont. Mr. Morris was nabbed on Burton Island by the St. Albans Police Department. He told police he had only been giving the boat a test ride and that he had permission from the owner. (laughs) Sure, if I have a $1.2 million yacht, I'm just going to say to anyone, hey, go take it for a spin. Take it for a test ride. The owner disagreed with that assessment by <laughs> by Mr. Morris. He now faces multiple charges, including possession of stolen property. <laughs> At least he didn't run it into a dock or something. I mean, I could just see, you know, see him sinking the boat or something. Fortunately, the guy has his yacht back. <clears throat> you remember the uh, story that we had yesterday? I think it was in Japan about the... A woman who found what she thought was a drowning woman, naked drowning woman in the water, uh, turned out to be an inflatable adult doll. Uh, Here's another case of mistaken identity. Police in Great Britain uh, were called in for assistance in capturing a king cobra, big king cobra snake in the yard of a resident in Workington recently. Woman spotted the venomous snake on a neighbor's lawn chair and called her son, who in turn called police. Police, in turn, called the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the RSPCA, for assistance. And it was animal control officers, once they arrived on the scene, who quickly discovered that this king cobra was the plastic kind. (laughs) It was just a kid's fake snake. They discovered the toy belonged to one of the neighborhood children, and it has been returned to the owner. (laughs) That's kind of embarrassing. But, hey, better safe than sorry. That's that's amazing how many times that happens in the uh, broken news. These toys are really realistic. That's Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a New York teenager is fine after having to call firefighters to get her out of the fitting room at a local clothing store. Uh, This happened in Smithtown, New York. 14-year-old Giovanna uh, Diso was shopping at a clothing store there in town in uh, Port Jefferson. Uh, This building, and this is what makes the story interesting, the building where the clothing store is located was formerly an old bank. And the fitting room was, I guess, the vault. Uh, the, the old vault of the bank is where the fitting rooms are. And the steel vault door is still there. Now, it is generally propped open, and then they have individual doors for the dressing rooms. So the big vault door is propped open. 
but uh, Giovanna's seven-year-old brother pranked her and pushed the door closed. First of all, how strong does a seven-year-old have to be to push closed this huge steel door? Problem is, it, it closed and locked and would not open. Took firefighters, several firefighters, 90 minutes to cut through an inch and a half of brick and concrete in order to free her. But she's going to be okay. One of the more unusual calls uh, I would imagine the uh, firefighters have ever gotten. And a girl locked in the bank vault. Police uh, police in Pennsylvania uh, got a weird call the other day. They were called in to break up an exorcism happening at a local Home Depot. (laughs) That's right, an exorcism at the Home Depot. The incident happened Monday in Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania, when police were called to escort people out of the lumber aisle where they had gathered. The exorcism reportedly being held for the trees that had been turned into lumber. (laughs) Well, you know, prices have been going up, and maybe there is some sort of, you know, maybe an exorcism is in order. I don't know. Uh, It says no charges have been filed at this time. No word on whether they were able to complete their exorcism. (laughs) And finally, in the broken news this morning... Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. And this is just, this is just weird. Uh, A Dayton, Ohio man is headed to prison for locking an eight-year-old boy in the trunk of a car as punishment. Now, the boy's going to be fine, but here's the story. 44-year-old Damon Eugene Ellis was sentenced to eight years in prison yesterday. Prosecutors say he dragged the child from an apartment back in December of last year and forced him into the trunk of the car in below-freezing weather. A neighbor who saw the incident called 911, and what I thought was interesting about the the story, police say the boy wasn't wearing a coat at the time. (laughs) Yeah, like if he'd have... If he'd have stuffed him in the trunk, but he had a coat on, then that would have been fine. That that would have been fine if he'd have had a coat, but since he didn't have a coat, what are people thinking? Jeez. I tell you, there you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We've called it the great travel reboot of 2021. And indeed, as the country is emerging from its pandemic year, Americans really are ready to travel again. New survey finds that nearly as many of us plan to travel for summer vacation this year as did in 2019. So we've just about returned to pre-pandemic levels uh, in terms of travel demand. Almost. Uh, This uh, survey from CBS News finds that 34% of Americans plan to go away for vacation this summer. 38% uh, said that they would be vacationing in 2019. So 
Uh, again, almost back. For comparison, 22%, just 22% last year said that they would go away for summer vacation. And most of those thought at least it was somewhat likely that they would have to cancel their plans due to the pandemic. Uh, more than half of those traveling this summer plan to go at least 500 miles away from home, and 31%, nearly one in three, who plan to travel in 2021 are planning on traveling at least 1,000 miles from home or more. So the demand is there, but kind of interesting, thousands of families are finding out that their summer vacation may not happen. Uh, they may be planning one, but... It is taking even longer to get new passports this year. The State Department says it is coming uh, that it is up to 18 weeks now to get a passport due to slower mail times and more people traveling. There's an influx of demand, and so there's a backlog. Uh, many people, and this is what I thought was so interesting. I saw this story on the uh, Newswire. Many people are so desperate that they are turning to a Facebook group to buy or trade in-person appointments that you need to get to your, your passport. Some appointments are being sold for up to $300. <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that, but interesting stuff there with respect to uh, travel demand and the realities of travel 2021. Hey, guess what? It is time to uh, wrap up the week with a trip to Kyra's Kitchen. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio. Actually, I guess we... This is sort of a misnomer. We say we're going to Kyra's kitchen, but you're actually bringing the kitchen into the studio. So yeah, there we go. I know it's <laughs> kind of weird that way, but anyway, <laughs> uh, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio, and uh, for whatever reason, you have gone Italian. I know uh, this is Italiano. Yeah, it's an Italian feast, uh, <laughs> but it's easy Italian. <laughs> easy Italian stuff. Uh, easy, tasty recipes from uh, Kyra's kitchen this morning. We begin with the Italian. Crescent slab sandwiches. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So you take uh, two cans of Pillsbury crescent dough sheets, um, not the the ones you are divided up. You can get the sheets. Okay. Um, two of those, uh, a half a pound of deli ham, a quarter pound of pepperoni, a half a pound of sliced provolone, a half a pound of sliced mozzarella. Uh, one cup of sliced banana peppers. If you don't like banana peppers, you don't have to use those. You can do onion, whatever you like. Mm -hmm. uh, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, a quarter cup of freshly grated Parmesan, and one teaspoon of dried oregano. Make note of this. You're talking about slicing the provolone and the mozzarella Correct. cheese, but grating the Parmesan. Correct. Um, well, yeah, so, you can't really get Parmesan Right, sliced. but I mean, but so, what, I, what I mean is you're not talking about shredded cheeses uh, right. for the provolone and the mozzarella. Right. It's sliced. Yeah, it's sliced, because uh, so. okay. it's a sandwich. Right, okay. <laughs> I suppose you could do, you could do uh, shredded we could. cheese. Yeah. Because you are going to gonna bake them it's gonna so melt. it all melts. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. go ahead. Preheat oven to 350 degrees and grease a 9 by 13 uh, baking sheet with your cooking spray. Uh, place one can of your crescent dough um, on the prepared baking sheet and press to the edges. Mm -hmm. uh, then layer your pepperoni, your provolone, your ham, your mozzarella, and your banana peppers. Or whatever other yep. toppings you yep. want. Okay. And then unroll your remaining tube of crescent dough and place on top of the banana peppers. Um, brush the oil over the top of the 
the crescent dough, then sprinkle with Parmesan and the oregano, bake until dough is golden uh, golden brown, uh, cook through about 35 minutes or so, let cool for about 10 minutes before you slice it, slice it up, and enjoy. There you go, your Italian crescent slab sandwiches. You have a big slab sandwich there. And one of the important things with this recipe Mm -hmm. is... Don't put your ham on first. Put your pepperoni on first. Okay. Then your then your provolone and your mozzarella and and then your ham. So the order is important. Yes, order is important. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh let's see here. To go along with that, you have a tortellini caprese salad. Yes. All right. So I love caprese stuff. <laughs> so 20 ounce uh cheese uh tortellini um uncooked. Get the refrigerator brand, not the frozen brand, because the refrigerator brand is better in pasta salads. Um, The freezer brand can get kind of mushy. So, um, Good tip. Yes. 10-ounce cherry tomatoes, um, 8-ounce mozzarella pearls. Um, Those are the little round mozzarella balls. Um, uh, One cup of chopped spinach, a quarter cup of chopped basil, fresh basil, quarter cup of olive oil, two tablespoons of balsamic vinegar, three to four garlic cloves minced, um, three to four teaspoons of Italian seasoning, a half a teaspoon of salt and pepper. Um, That's for taste. And balsamic glaze is your optional that you can put on top after you've got the salad all done. All right. So cook your tortellini according to the instructions. Prep and chop all your ingredients and set them aside. When the tortini is uh, cooked... Um, strain out of the water and then rinse with cool water to stop the cooking process and cool down your uh, tortellini. Mm-hmm. Um, add the tortellini to a medium-large bowl. Uh, add your spinach, your tomatoes, your basil, and your garlic. Pour over the olive oil, the balsamic vinegar. Add your Italian seasoning and your salt and pepper for taste. Toss um, the salad um, till it's well combined. Right. Um, chill. Um, I like chilling it overnight, gets the seasonings and everything mm-hmm. all through it. Yeah. Um, then if you need to add more olive oil before you serve, if it seems like the olive oil was kind of, um, absorbed into the pasta. Okay. Um, and then add your balsamic glaze if you want before serving and store in the refrigerator for up to five days. Up to five days. Yes. So, uh, you know, put making it the night before is not a problem. Nope. So you can store it for a while. Yep. What got you into the uh, Italian mood? I don't know. I, I just, I'm just in that mood. I okay. like this type right. of food and it's wine time and so- <laughs> here you go. <laughs> okay. All right then. And uh, for dessert, this is not necessarily Italian. I guess, no. uh, but uh, sugar cookie cheesecake bars. Yes. Mm-mm-mm. I yes. love sugar cookies and I love cheesecake. Me so too. how do we do this? Yes. So one 16 point uh, ounce tube of your sugar cookie dough. Uh, have that at room temperature. That usually takes about a half an hour. Uh, an egg, a tablespoon of vanilla extract, a quarter cup of powdered sugar, one eight ounce box of cream cheese, that needs to also be at room temperature, about a half an hour okay. for that too. And cinnamon sugar mixture, um, that's for sprinkling on top. So yep. preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Prepare your baking dish with your nonstick spray. In a mixing bowl, combine your cream cheese, your vanilla extract, and your egg uh, mix um, on slow um, until it's nice and creamy. Uh, cut the rolls 
cut the roll, the sugar cookie dough roll in half. All right. Press half of that in the bottom of your baking dish. Then pour your cream cheese mixture on uh-huh. top of that. So that's going to be the crust. Yes. That's I got gotcha. you. Oh, okay. Then with the remaining of the cookie dough, you're going to kind of cut those like you can cut them like in cookie slices and press them down and then kind of spread them on top of that. Okay. Okay. All right. Then bake it for 25 to 30 minutes uh, just until the sugar cookies are a golden color. And then take it out of the oven, sprinkle with your cinnamon sugar, and then cut into squares once it's cooled and cover and refrigerate, and that will last up to three days. All right. That sounds just uh, absolutely delicious. Yes. Uh, The sugar cookie uh, cheesecake bars, along with the Italian crescent slab sandwiches and the tortellini caprese salad, Uh, we've got all of those recipes posted on our Facebook page, on the WFIN Facebook page, and linked up at goodmornings.net. My wife, Kyra, with uh, her recipes this week from Kyra's Kitchen, got an All-American barbecue next week. Yes. Yep. Yep. For For uh, Fourth of July. July. So we look forward to that. Uh, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Put a wrap on the week. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day can be found at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Check us out on the World Wide Web. Coming up Monday on the program, Amazon made a big deal about how small business merchants were a big part of their Prime Day promotion. How did they fare on the platform's biggest sale event of the year? We'll pick apart the numbers. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.